Disney Books with Aaron, Polly, and Tim. I'm Aaron. This is Paul. And this is Tim. Well, good morning, guys. Holiday Yes. Yeah, that's right. It is Christmas Eve. The the snow is falling. The, 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 the carolers are singing. The bells are ringing. It's Christmas at Funny Books Manor. Wait, do you have snow? Does no, Tim have it, snow? No, it's Hell 70. yeah, I have snow. Yeah, it's 70 degrees here. <laughs> <laughs> it's 60 here, or 50-something. I don't like you much either. And, and Tim, <laughs> Tim is in the subarctic. I got enough snow for all of us, let's be fair. <laughs> it could be worse, Tim. Remember that one time you broadcasted from me? Uh, oh, wait, was that you that broadcasted from a car in the garage? I have broadcasted from a car before. That yeah. has happened. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I could be in the car right now. <laughs> <laughs> no, it could be worse. It could be negative degrees, like it was a couple of weeks ago. So uh, I'll be, I'll be okay. See, the thing you don't know is it has to be a little warmer to snow. So if you're getting snow, it's not negative. Whatever the hell. No. The bad no. news is you might be hearing the snowblower go by. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So, so, gentlemen, uh, you know we haven't. You know, because our our recording schedule has been a little irregular. Um, you know, last week we instead you know, recorded. You know, some fiber will fix that, Paul. Oh, well, you know, yeah. little x slacks. Yeah. I go to air uh, my regularity. <laughs> <laughs> well, last weekend we recorded our holiday edition of Knights of Rainsboro. 2016 edition. Woo, woo. It is Check fresh. It out now. It is fresh. It's awesome. Uh-huh. Um, but and I full, think to- full of holiday cheer. And it's on and this five- feed. That's right. Yeah. It's the last thing on this feed right before this. So the full- second to the last thing on this feed. Well, right. what else? um so i didn't get a chance to ask you guys what you are hoping that santa brings you this christmas i'll let aaron field this one first uh i don't know paul i know i didn't put it in the outline so you didn't have time to prepare i really didn't i mean this is way off the top of my head um i I don't know uh you know i i'm trying to think of what i'm trying to remember what i put on my christmas list it's been so (laughs) long uh uh, you know, I, I, a drone would be nice. I'm kind of I'm kind of angling for a drone this year, like with little guns on it. Well, I, well, you know, something that, that could like you know drop bombs. You know, that would be great. <laughs> no, I was thinking like they've got a they've got like a Millennium Falcon drone. They've got an, a USS Enterprise drone. Uh, oh yeah, I've seen those. Yeah, uh, one of those would be would be nice. I'd like to buzz the dogs with them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Tim, how about yourself? You know, I've been I've been angling for a smartphone. I think okay. I think I think it's time to to join the generation. Now, granted, it's not going to be a Galaxy or an iPhone or anything, anything well, that you know everybody and their brother has. But you don't want one of those galaxies, Tim. You don't want one of those galaxies. They'll they'll blow, they'll blow, explode on you. Well, no, I, I don't. I don't want a seven. I, I said if we're going to get me one, give me a six. Well, but you know what? You can get them on the cheap. Yeah, maybe I I got you a deal. (laughs) Give me a a seven. Yeah, exploded. Eric's going to be dropping them from his drone. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no. uh, But barring that, you know, I've I've got the PS4. I've only got, like, one game for it. Two games. So, you know, I I threw out there a couple games I'd like to play. They redid Red Dead Redemption for the PS4. I might have mentioned that. Oh, yeah. And the new one's coming out next year, so mm-hmm. that's that's going to happen. But yeah, for this year, that's what I asked for. Hey, is, is one of those two games, does it happen to be Uncharted 4? No. God damn it. Do you need an Uncharted 4, buddy, Paul? I do, because they released Survival Mode this week. 
Very exciting. And Tim and I used to play Uncharted Three Survival Mode. You know, maybe I'll maybe maybe that's something I can uh, I can I can hook up. We'll see. See, I've got to make some some holiday cash. I might be able to do that. I have to buy a whole system between now and when the next Red Dead comes out. You got time. It'll well, be like yeah, 150 bucks by then, and we'll all be pissed off because we that, paid double that. That's yeah. kind of my thought. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I my birthday, in Dece- being in December, I got a lot of the uh, the goodies that I was hoping for on my birthday already. Um, you know, I got I got that Marvel Legends Captain America shield. That, that I, I, Captain America I, shield. I've, got, I've got that as well. It's so awesome. It is awesome. It, it is, is awesome. So awesome. In, in fact... Uh, I don't know if you saw my picture of it in, on Instagram, but uh, it, it is super cool. I love that mm-hmm. thing. Are and you going to hang I, yours on the wall, Paul? I am going to hang mine on the wall. I need to figure out how, but I, I am going to hang it. Yeah, how heavy is that thing? Pretty heavy. Yeah, it's it's stout. Like you can't just use those little uh, those little hooks that stick on hooks that stick on the wall, right? Yeah, <laughs> with the little stickers. Yeah, no, I can't use those. Yeah, the, the little three M. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, so I got that. I got Telltale Batman, the the new Batman game from Telltale Games, um, which is quite good. This is your birthday haul you're going through, right? Yeah, this is my birthday haul. Um, you know, for Christmas, I don't know. I, 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 I don't have any specific uh, needs uh, except for gift cards. So, Well, you know, that's uh, the problem. That's my problem, Paul, is that, you know, I sadly, I've gotten to this place. I've become my dad over the last several years where when I want a thing, I just go get a thing. Yes, exactly. <laughs> And so it's hard to uh, you know tell people what you want for Christmas. I you're you're easy to buy for. I just I get you tr- scotch. You know, and that that is always welcome. In fact, I have I have been enjoying Scotchmas quite a bit this season. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, Aaron, I'm a little concerned. Yes, sir. Why? Because the first item on our list is Lost in Space. Uh huh. What concerns you about that, Paul? Well, because we just talked about Lost in Space a couple of weeks ago. I've not seen additional news, but I feel like maybe there is additional news. Well, not additional news, but the, you know, we, we talked about a few weeks ago that uh, Netflix is going to be running a new Lost in Space series. Um, and I picked up, coincidentally, right around the same time, the 50-year edition Blu-ray of Lost in Space. And it's got the complete series. And, you know, I, it's not something I ever would have gone out of my way to pick up, but Amazon had a ridiculous sale on it uh, around Black Friday. I mean, like 60% off. And wow. Yeah. And so I picked it up. And, you know, I've always enjoyed Lost in Space. Uh, I think I've said it before on the show, I prefer the earlier black, the, the first season black and white episodes to the later season color episodes. Uh, but, you know, I've, I've been watching it while I've been wrapping Christmas gifts this year. And I gotta say, number one, fantastic Blu-ray set. Highly recommend it. You know, if you have an opportunity to pick it up on the cheap, do it because uh, it is super fantastic. They they went back and brought all that stuff up to HD. They went back to the original film, and uh, I, even in the black and white stuff, I mean, the the clarity and the sharpness is pretty amazing. And that because they went back to the original. Uh, film, they were able to stretch the screen. Uh, so it's not full letterbox. It doesn't take you from corner to corner of your screen, but it, it really, it's not that square that you're used to seeing on stuff from that era. Uh, They're able to add in stuff that you couldn't see before. Uh, so that's pretty amazing. Uh, you know, one of the nice things, you know, I've never really been into the Lost in Space fandom. So some of the stuff that, that 
uh, you know, maybe a, a more serious Lost in Space fan is familiar with is brand new to me, but they have got all kinds of extra material like screen tests and things like that in the uh, in the Blu-ray set. And they actually recorded, and this is one of the things that I really appreciate, they recru- recorded all new commentaries for this set. And so they've got cast commentaries, they've got you know people who are involved in the production, uh, folks who are involved in the fandom. It's the kind of commentary that I've always wished they would do for Star Trek. Because, you know, they'll, they'll frequently have, you know, cast commentaries and director-writer commentaries. But what they won't have is somebody who, you know, is involved in the fandom and knows all the stuff, you know, who, who lives and breathes that kind of stuff and can tell you things about the production that folks who are just working on it as a job might not be familiar with or remember. Um, but I, I got to tell you, it's an outstanding Blu-ray set, uh, beautifully packaged. So I'm a little frustrated with some of the packaging. The packaging is has got some beautiful graphics on it, but uh, is not particularly functional. Uh, it makes it really hard to dig your discs out. Uh, I hate it when I can't get my disc out. Uh, <laughs> but all in all, I mean, I'm just, I'm really, I can't, I can't get over how much I'm enjoying this set. And one of the things, one of the contrasts I find interesting, because, you know, keep in mind, uh, Lost in Space and Star Trek are of the same, uh, you know, generation, right? They both came out right around the same time. And, you know, Star Trek had two pilots. Lost in Space had two pilots. Um, They they both used their unaired pilot as footage for for another show. In the case of Lost in Space, for several other shows. Um... One of the things, one of the, the interesting contrasts is uh, Gene Roddenberry in Star Trek would not allow, uh, uh, you know, uh, much drama between the actors. You know, between yeah. the, the the main, you know, everybody on the Enterprise got along, right? Uh, you know, you might have some some friendly snarkiness between McCoy and Spock, but everybody on the Enterprise got along, and that is just not true in Lost in Space. You know, uh, Major West and you know, Professor Robinson uh, go at it quite a bit, and I didn't recall that. It's been that long since since I, since I've seen it. Uh, it. It's just it's very interesting to me that the, the, the differences. Uh, the Lost in Space is very much based on uh, NASA technology, like you know the 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 space pod that they drop is very much a lunar lander, whereas you know Star Trek is a lot more fully formed science fiction. It's it's beyond current technology, whereas uh, Lost in Space is really rather grounded in current technology, uh, even though it's certainly you know fantastical. Anyway, I, I've just got got a real kick out of it, so I, I would give this collection a big thumbs up. Hmm. And it has inspired me to, to continue reading those uh, Lost in Space comic books that came out this year that are based off of unaired scripts, which are also really good. And uh, I remember, so those are still coming out. Yeah, in fact, uh, they're a buck ninety nine or so on uh, Comicsology because they reduced the price, you know, a couple of months after they came out. So there's like three or four of them out right now. Very cool. So I want. So let's start with a comic that. I really enjoyed the hell out of this week, Aaron. Uh-huh. Cave Carson has a cybernetic eye, number three. Uh, yeah, it was a good book. It was, it was so good. good. You know, it, it's – I don't want to – you know, because we had this conversation about the Young Animals imprint. Right. And we said they're good books. They're just not our taste, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not like we said they were shit. We just – you know, we can tell they're quality books, just not necessarily – we don't necessarily match the target audience. And considering this is the same guy who either writes or produces those other books, it has 
it, this is just scratching the right itch for me. Yeah, no, it's 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 weird and it's goofy, and but you're right. I mean, it's, it's just right in that zone. Uh, Gerard Way, who you know writes these books, has is is doing just a, just a great job. And I think the difference is is that you know he's he's in our zone on this book, whereas we are not in his zone on those other books. Yeah, you know. But that's great. I mean, there should. I think it's great that there's something for everybody, and I, and I wish nothing but the best on those other books because, as you said, they are well produced. Like Shade, the Changing Girl, is not the book I wanted or the book I'd like to read, but I recognize that there's a there's a good book in there. Yeah. Right? Um, it's just not for me. It's for a completely different audience, and and I hope it's finding that audience. Yeah. I mean, Cave Carson it has that campy feel, but it's also you know it's got some. You know, it's funny because it's a mature reader's book, but basically just for language. Right. Like, I mean, the violence is pretty much just against monsters. You know, there's nothing really offensive you know, to speak of in the book. That's not cool, though. I mean, you know, I, monster lives matter, Paul. No, they don't. No. <laughs> Hashtag no, they don't. <laughs> But, um, you know, it's funny. This week I went on Twitter and, you know, I, I said very positive things about Cave Carson as a cybernetic guy. Yep. And I tagged Gerard Way and Michael Avenoming. Yeah. Michael Avenoming responded to my tweet. Oh, wow. He said, thanks, man. Hey, do you have family in the Bronx? I'm like, it's kind of unusual. Because he's going to put a hit out on him, Paul. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's the, that's the kind of guy Michael Avenoming is. Yeah. Well, I said, <laughs> actually, yes, I do. And his response was, we might actually be legally related in some way. <laughs> so I, I feel like Michael Avenoming and I were separated at birth. I think that's where I'm going with this. I think that means that you get a cut of some of that big powers money he's rocking these days. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, I, I think that you get a, you get a credit in the in that, uh, you know, Sony television series. Do I have to watch it? Yeah, I, I, well, yes. <laughs> Paul, you jackass! This is your fucking in. I That's know. Right. Stop That's sitting right. on your ass. What are you doing? Get on it. <laughs> Figure this shit out. Well, b- because before you know it, there'll be a Knights of Rainsboro Netflix original series. Oh shit! Right. <laughs> <laughs> Only if with I get Paul- the cast hair trigger with Paula Ponte as the hair trigger. <laughs> <laughs> No, this would be the best. We could all move out to California together. It'd be phenomenal, Paul. I like so it. So if this like doesn't it. happen, this is on you. <laughs> this is all on you. I'm, I'm, I'll do my best. All right. <laughs> so I, I really, really enjoyed Cave Carson. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm glad I, you know, because I had forgotten about the book, quite frankly. Um, and when I saw issue three came out this week, I picked up issues two and three. And it's just the right blend of writing and art and you know, for it to be different from everything else I'm reading right now. I enjoy it. Well, I, I did. I, I enjoyed it as well. I, I enjoy the sort of, uh, you know, the, sit, the the city under the city aspect to it. I enjoy the, the you know, oh, by the way, your mom used to be a queen of this, you know, city yeah. under the city. What? <laughs> <laughs> They'd like to see you since you're, the, you're her only blood kin, you know. So, yes, yeah, it's a good book. City under a city. Where have I heard that before? Yeah, I know. Well, it's cause, it's because that uh, that cousin of yours r- ripping you off, Paul. <laughs> exactly, ripping you off. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, a little movie came out a couple weeks ago, and because we recorded Knights of Rainsboro last week, we haven't really had a chance to talk much about it. A um, little independent film, um, an art so house film, Paul. An, an art, art house, house film. film. So, uh, what do you think about La La Land, Aaron? <laughs> <laughs> 
it it was magical, fantastical, Paul. <laughs> fantastical. Um, no, we're not going to talk about La La Land. Um, <laughs> nor will I probably see La La Land. Uh, but we are going to talk about Rogue One, a Star Wars story. And if you are one of the few who hasn't seen it, um, we're very likely to talk about it in, in spoiler-esque um, details. So and, yeah, and, and, skip ahead. And, you know, so many people have seen this movie, Paul. You know who saw this movie? My <laughs> wife, who's what? never seen a Star Wars movie before. In fact, I'll take you now to her comments directly following the show. Hello and welcome to Star Wars with Aaron and Aaron's wife, Suzanne. I'm Aaron. I'm Suzanne. Well, you know, this was pretty crazy stuff because Suzanne and I have been together for 16 years. Almost 17. And almost 17 years. 17 years in February. See, I'm not an idiot. Yeah. And uh, in that time, she has never watched a Star Wars movie all the way through. <laughs> Am I correct in this? That is correct. I've napped through several. Okay, so when we were dating, I want you to tell this story. I have no idea what you're talking uh-huh. about. <laughs> when we were dating, you decided, you thought that maybe Star Wars might be important to me. Yes, I did. And uh, what was it you chose to do, that you set out to do, in order to prepare yourself to love me? <laughs> Well, my friend Claire had um, VHS tapes of three movies. Uh I tried to watch them. (laughs) It just, it didn't happen. Uh I started them. I'd nap. I'd wake up midway through. I I couldn't follow it. It didn't happen. I thought, well, I'm going to have to find some other way to love him. (laughs) So, uh, episode four, Star Wars A New Hope, the very first Star Wars film that came out in 1977, Mark Hamill, Carrie Fisher, Harrison Ford, you've never seen it all the way through. Oh, no. Not at all. No, not at all. The sequel to that film, Empire Strikes Back, back, with Harrison Ford, Carrie Fisher, Mm -hmm. Mark Hamill, Billy D. Williams. Oh, yeah, yeah. Never saw that all the way through. No, I put it in the VCR. Uh-huh. Uh, the VCR. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. But I, I, I barely watched it. So, imagine my surprise uh-huh. when I said, hey, you know, this new Star Wars Rogue One film is coming out. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go see it on Friday morning. Would you like to come with me? Yes. And you said... Yes, I would. And but but you asked a question first. Do I have to know anything? Yeah, and what was my answer? No. <laughs> That's right up my alley. I don't have to know anything. Okay, so we are fresh out of the film. It is one uh, fifteen p.m. on Friday afternoon. We had just came out of seeing the film. Yes. And I'm I'm curious to know. This is your very first Star Wars film that you stayed awake all the way through. <laughs> Well, we did go to the morning show. We did go so to the morning show. Helps. And I'd like to point out you had a mid-morning nap before we went. <laughs> I so, did. So, what did you think? Well, I was worried uh-huh. that you wouldn't let me bring a book. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, you were looking for a book, and had it been a Star Wars novel, oh. I would have allowed it. Yeah, that's never going to happen. Yeah, okay, so... so Tell me what, you know, just initial impressions. You don't have to, you know, do, okay. do, do deconstruct the film. Just tell me, did you enjoy it? I enjoyed it. Um, I, 
I can't tell you one character's name because they don't have normal names. What about Jen? Oh well. <laughs> so Jen's not a normal name, is Jen? It's a normal name. Sure? That's Polly's you're, girlfriend. It sounds like you're saying that no, Jen's no. not a normal name, and that anybody with the name Jen would be someone Abby normal. No, no, no. <laughs> she she had a normal name, but uh-huh. I wouldn't be able to tell you anyone else. I couldn't tell the good guys from the bad guys, except for a handful. And I knew she, Jen was uh, can, a good can, girl. Can I ask you to 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 elaborate on that a little bit? When you say you couldn't tell the good guys from the bad guys, was that because you identified with the Empire, or because you identified with the rebels, or that you didn't identify with either, or oh. just that you simply visually couldn't tell who was a good guy versus who was a bad guy? I had no knowledge of from the storyline who was good and who was bad, except. I knew that Jen was good, and I knew really ultimately her father was, which I'd like to say uh, he didn't age during all that time. Oh, no, he shaved. Well, and he got rid of his man bun. Right, And so that, you know, was a plus. But I knew that he was ultimately a good guy, even though he was working with the bad guys. Um, And I knew that the uh, blind guy was good. Mm -hmm. And I knew his helper with the uh, vacuum cleaner on his back. Uh I knew he was good. Uh But it was kind of hard to tell anyone else. Mm -hmm. The uniforms didn't give it away? No. (laughs) They didn't. And they... That's true. And they all need a good, 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 good scrubbing. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So, you know, you. And then I knew that the bad guy dressed like Florence Nightingale. I knew uh-huh. he was a bad guy. Uh-huh. Yeah. But frankly, I, I, that's about it. But. Uh-huh. You enjoyed the film? I did. I did. Well, I like that Victor Sefuentes. Yeah, well, you know, He's, Jimmy Smith, yeah. you know, he brings it, right? He does. Was he a good guy or a bad guy? He's a good guy. Okay. In fact... And what was his role? He just well, kind of popped up and had a couple of lines. Well, he is the adopted father of Carrie Fisher's character, Princess Leah. Uh-huh. And he's the one who assigns Princess Leah to get the information after Jen and her team, the Rogue One team, yes. have transmitted that data out. So at the end of the film, mm-hmm. where you saw where that they ship, it off. yeah, uh-huh. you saw the Darth Vader's coming down the hall. Yeah. You recognized Darth Vader. I right? did, and but where did those people come from? Which ones? The ones that Darth Vader was trying to kill. Well, those were the guys who were still in the big uh, uh, fleet ship that was being destroyed, uh-huh. and you know Darth Vader was going in there to get the plans, and those guys were handing off the plans. Yeah, because the door stuck. That's right, and so they handed it through the door, and then they run down the hallway. And they give it to Princess Leah, and her ship leaves out from under the big fleet ship. Now, what's important, and had you had you remembered anything from watching Star Wars A New Hope Episode 4, you would have realized that the very next scene is that ship being captured by Darth Vader and all of his boys and taking Princess Leah into custody, but the plan's getting away down to the planet below. Yeah. Well, but you told me I didn't have to You didn't have to. I'm just saying that that had you, you know, watched that movie, you would have known, see, this is a prequel. It happens Uh before that. that, Yes, I understand how the prequel works. No, no, I'm just trying to to explain what the importance of that scene was. It was tying the movies together. Yeah. 
How did th- that had to be like her cut from the previous film? Because there's no way she looks like. That. I am assuming there is some uh, digital manipulation. Yeah, like quite a yeah. bit. Yeah. yeah. So okay. So I just want to sum up. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. A little bit of confusion. Well, a lot. I mean, when you don't know who the good guy and the bad guy is, and you don't know anybody's <laughs> but you name. You still enjoyed the film. I enjoyed the film. I did. Very good. Well, we're going to go ahead and classify you as a fan. Okay. So. <laughs> So, thanks for tuning in. I'm Aaron. I'm Suzanne. And this was your special edition of Star Wars with Aaron and his wife, Suzanne. <laughs> so there, yeah, actual proof that my wife saw a Star Wars film. Huh. Crazy. I mean, you sure you didn't just record that? Like, just, just, just give her 50 bucks and tell her That's to say right. something? That's right. Well, I had to trick her into it. I told her we were going to do a Gilmore Girls podcast. And that, that this was how we'd warm up. <laughs> oh, and then Aaron got sucked in the new Gilmore Girls series. He's Gilmore like, no, Girls. no. It's Gilmore Girls with Aaron and Aaron's wife. <laughs> we're going to see Manchester by the Sea, really. <laughs> I promise. I promise. <laughs> so yeah, Rogue One. That was a thing. I, you know, I, I liked that movie a lot. I didn't. I did not love it as much as I loved Force Awakens. Uh, I would agree. But you know, I do think, you know, when you watch Force Awakens uh, for a second or third time, you kind of see the holes in it. Yeah. You know, the the you you you. you 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 get past that that overwhelming feeling of nostalgia and and warm fuzzies, and you realize, oh yeah, okay, yeah. So you know, it, it is what it is, and you and you see it for for the limitations that it has. Um, whereas I think Rogue One is going to bear up well under multiple viewings um, because I, ultimately, and and I, and I hate to say this, while I enjoyed Force Awakens more, I think Rogue One is probably a better movie. I don't know that I agree, actually. Really? Um, yeah, I feel like Rogue One will hold up more consistently on repeat viewings, uh-huh. but that's because I feel <laughs> that's because I didn't love it um, uh-huh. the first time. So I don't, you know, I, I don't necessarily think, um, you know, like like you said, Force Awakens, you love it, you have the nostalgia. It's been you know 15 years since a Star Wars film, whatever, whatever. Um, you know, you watch it, you're wrapped up in the nostalgia future viewings you're able to get over the nostalgia and see the flaws and understand and you know comprehend the story a little bit more and things like that um you know whereas rogue one doesn't have that benefit it's released a year after the last star wars film and um you know it, so it's its flaws were more evident up upon first viewing so that's why i feel a little you know i, I will feel more consistently about it yeah. um but i will say you know rogue one while i enjoyed it very much um I agree with you. It is um, not as good as Force Awakens, in my opinion. Um, and I, I think, uh, you know, we we talked at length about Force Awakens, and we're not going to necessarily talk at, at such length about Rogue One. Uh, but one of the things we said about Force Awakens was that the characters were very instantly likable. Mm-hmm. And I feel like, in general, Rogue One had just the opposite effect on me, in that uh, I feel like in Rogue One they, they tried to make all the characters as morally ambiguous as possible. So again, spoiler warnings on, I really didn't give a shit about it when they all died. Um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> spoilers, spoilers, <laughs> uh, other than Dan- Donnie Yen, Chirrut Imway, um, and, and, um, you and know, K2. His, and K2, like the rest of the characters I felt were, were generally kind of unlikable. Um, and well, it's I, a dirty I, dozen I, kind of movie. You know, it, is, it's, it is. But you know, the, even ro- they would. You know, they didn't necessarily even have a roguish charm to them. 
Um, you know, they weren't charming. Um, you know, I, I felt like, uh, you know, Jen Erso, the, the lead character, I, I didn't find her a very compelling lead, um, in the film, like I did with Ray, mm-hmm. um, you know, same with Cassie and Andor and, uh, you know, many of the other characters, I just didn't necessarily attach to them the same way I did with the other characters. I think my problem with, with, uh, with Jen Orso was that she was too similar to uh, the character in Force Awakens, right? Um, I, there, I mean, she didn't have Force powers. Don't get me wrong, but there, just physically, they, there was just so many similarities. Mm-hmm. I need, I needed her to be visibly different. I would know? agree with that. I, I feel like visibly, and you know, they, they you went for a medium height, thin brunette shoulder length hair like i mean like could, could i feel like they like uh you know the the people like kathleen kennedy must have a type because i mean <laughs> <laughs> you know they really cast uh, similar looking women in my opinion yeah and I, and I think that worked against them in this movie because mm-hmm. there, there are times where you know just I'm, I'm trying to shove her into a force awakens role versus you know the character that she's playing uh, and i agree you know the she certainly had has a tragic past and suffers a tragic end. But it would have been nice to see that there was something, maybe a little bit more Han Solo-y about her. You know, where yeah. she's, even though, you know, she, she had a rough childhood and, and you know, she's, she's got this, this tragedy going on on the film, in the, in the, on the screen. It would have been nice to see that she was enjoying life at some level. You know? Yeah, but and as, we never got it, that. Yeah, I mean, because very much at the end of the movie, it's just like, okay, well, you're putting her out of her misery, <laughs> yeah. you know, because she just really didn't seem to be en- enjoying much about her life. Um, but you know, th- there were only a few characters that that I really cared a lot about in the film, and K two S O being one of them, uh, and that's got a lot to do with Alan Tudyk uh, and and the manner in which that role is played. I just I, I thought that worked really well, and I'm ready to have my K two S O figure, you know. I feel like K2SO, and I, I I think the standout for me, and maybe it's because I am a Don, a huge Donnie Yen fan, but I feel like his character, they did make a likable character with some complexity, and you know, I, I and I, I was interested in his character more so than any other character in the film. Yeah, um, Paul's a big fan of all Donalds. <laughs> very true. Very true. Donald um, Duck, <laughs> Donald Duck, Brasco. Uh, you know, you're you're making a solid point here. Just Don Johnson. Up. Yeah. <laughs> Donatello. <laughs> so, I'm out of Don's. Yeah, I had one that, more. That's enough. Lost it. That that that's just that that's enough. Actually, to prove the point. Actually, um, you know, for me, so you know, they said Rogue One very much. Had, had um a lot of rewrites and um reshoots uh the the, the rumor is that the, the basically the last third of the film was entirely reshot um with under a different director uh tony gilroy rewrote and reshot the ending uh, paid five million dollars for his contribution uh and by comparison jj abrams was paid 10 million dollars for writing directing and producing all of force awakens they paid tony gilroy five million dollars to rewrite and reshoot the ending of um, Rogue One, a Star Wars story. And I have to say, I think it was money well spent because the last third of this film is so significantly better than the first two thirds of the film. Completely agree. 
Um, completely agree. From from the moment they saddle up, right? Yeah, exactly. You know, uh, from the moment they saddle up, that movie starts really chugging. Uh, and I, Until and then, it, I felt it was rather, I don't want to say monotonous, but it wasn't, the, the last third is, like like you said, it just starts chugging. It's so yeah. significantly different and better. Yeah. No, I completely agree with that assessment. Um, I... I I loved that they didn't shy away from killing off every single character on the screen. Yeah. Uh, I mean, because I kept thinking, somebody's going to survive, you know, because I'd heard some somewhere that they were going to bring back some characters, but I don't see that there's a character they can bring back, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, because, I mean, just literally everybody from that team is gone. You see them die on screen. It is convincing. Yeah, uh, how these guys go, uh, which is too bad. It would have been nice to see K2SO turn up in a saga story, right? Yeah. Well, uh, I think, you know, so one of the, you know, going back to the reshoots, um, you know, some of the actors had sequel options in their contract, uh, including the lead. Uh-huh. And I think um, some of them survived originally, uh-huh. um, you know, in the original script and the original uh, way it was filmed and it was refilmed so that they, they, they all died. Maybe they'll uh, have a prequel to the sequel. <laughs> It'll be prequel Star Wars sequel. three point two five. Yeah, there you I go. Will, I will <laughs> say, I will say that the end of the movie worked so well. You mm-hmm. know, I was kind of sitting back in my chair, you know, as the planet's blowing up, and then they cut above, and you see Vader hitting the Rebel ship. Yes, and I mean, suddenly I'm I literally on the edge of my seat. I mean, I am leaning forward, and that whole beautiful scene where Vader is just, it's a bloodbath in the corridor as they're trying to push the tape out into the next hallway. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, that's a beautiful scene. And, you know, other people have said it. I'm not the first person to say this, but it is so cool to see Vader be the badass you always knew he could be. Exactly. You know, and I mean, he is just force throwing people. He's, you know, using this one guy as a bat, you know, into others. Yeah. Uh, I mean, he just slicing through them. And, uh, you know, you see the guy run down the hall and they hand off the, the data to Princess Leia. And, you know, there's that moment where you think you're only going to see Princess Leia's back, you know, that they're, you're not going to see her face. But then they've CG'd her, uh, you know, to receive the, 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 the information. I mean, literally, this where this movie ends. A new hope starts. I feel like they should have kept it from the back, just putting that out there. Um, because yeah, because the, the CG, CG was not particularly effective. No, not, not like, like not like Tarkin. Tarkin yeah. was was beautifully done. Yeah. In uh, fact, I sat there going, "Is that is that a guy they've got dressed up as Tarkin?" <laughs> just, I mean, it was that convincing, yeah. um, Tarkin. But Princess Leia was very obviously CG. Um, well, gonna, they stre- and, and the problem is they stretched her face a little bit. Yeah. And that it just wasn't right because that's not how Carrie Fisher's face looked. And by the way, as we record this, uh, we have learned that Carrie Fisher had a massive heart attack last night. Yeah. Uh, and I have not seen any additional news from that. Uh, they were performing CPR on the plane, and then you know she was land in the process of landing when this occurred. Um, they were performing CPR, and they uh, pushed her off to the hospital, but I've not heard anything else. So as we record this right now, as far as we know, uh, uh, she is alive, and we have no additional information other than that. Yeah. You know, it's a, it's a bummer. Um, but, uh, yeah, hopefully she, she uh, you know, turns it around. I, I know she is out of the emergency room and in intensive care as of the last news update from last night. Yeah. So. But, you know, if in, in regards to Rogue One, um, 
a couple of, of, of nitpicks I'm going to put out there. One positive nitpick is that um, lots of Re- Rebels references. If you're a fan of Star Wars Rebels, you have to pay close attention. Yeah, you saw Chopper. You saw Chopper. You yeah. saw the ghost. You saw they made reference to Captain Syndulla, who's Hera. Um, I mean, there are and, and the Black Saber. I mean, there are numerous reference Rebels references in in the film. But seeing Chopper was my favorite. Yeah. So, well, and that just means that we're going to get a Chopper figure, right? We better. <laughs> um, some some negative nitpicks is as as much as I enjoyed that Darth Vader ending. Kind of doesn't make sense when you compare it with the beginning of Star Wars Episode Four, because, you know, he attacks the ship and Princess Leia is like, what are you talking about? We were on a diplomatic mission, diplomatic mission. And, you know, Darth Vader is like, motherfucker, I just saw this ship yeah. leave another ship. Like, well, you, I mean, I, I, mean I, I think what he said is that this is a counselor ship. Where is the ambassador? I believe yeah. that's what he said, Paul. <laughs> well, he should have said, motherfucker, I just saw this ship. <laughs> like 10 minutes ago, I just saw this ship. Yeah. Um, bitch. And then, you know, <laughs> bitch. And then uh, earlier in the film, uh, Jin bumps into um, the two characters who Luke bumps into in the Mos Eisley Cantina. Yes. Like about two days before Luke bumps into them, they're on a planet get, that gets destroyed. Uh-huh. And you know that guy's like FML. Like, you know, I was just I, I just avoided annihilation just to get my arm cut off by this old guy and this kid. Yeah. 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 I, I feel like that that one was a little too on the nose, that, that little cameo there. I enjoyed it, Paul. That didn't bother me at all. <laughs> that didn't bother me at all. But I I, I did kind of have that feeling like, man, this guy can't win. No. You know, he, yeah, he was thinking, hey man, Tatooine's looking pretty good right now. Fuck my arm. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I've got no DME coverage. Yeah. Glad I escaped that uh you know, that, that planet devastation. They don't have Obamacare in a galaxy far, far away. I can't get myself fixed up. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, despite the nitpicks, it is a it is a good film. Um the ending is absolutely worth the the price of admission. Um, so I, 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 if you haven't seen, I mean, there's no one who's a Star Wars fan who's on the fence about seeing Rogue One. Oh yeah, well, I, you know, I think I liked it better than you, Paul. Again, I didn't enjoy it as much as Force Awakens, but I do think that the last, you know, third or so of that movie makes this movie worthwhile. Agreed. Yeah. So, uh, comic books. Yes, sir. So this week, Batman number 13 came out, the concluding chapter of I Am Suicide, you know, the Batman assault on Arkham Asylum, uh, where he is, well, it's not Arkham Asylum, right? It's Blackgate. Yeah, right. Um, Where he is, you know, on his way to find Bane and break his damn back, as he keeps saying. Well, it's Santa Prisca, isn't it? Oh, Santa Prisca. Yeah. You're right. You're right. It's not Blackgate. It's Santa Prisca. I'm just making shit up. I mean, you are. I don't. I don't know the the three. There are only three prisons in the DC (laughs) universe, and I and I guess the wrong two. And and not one of them's worth a damn. That's what I find amusing. (laughs) Um, You would think that if superheroes really wanted to take control, you know, make sure that stuff was working out, that they would improve the prison system. (laughs) You you would think maybe maybe put it in the negative zone. That's what (laughs) I would do. I that 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 would be infallible. It it would be effective. Yeah. That can't that can't be messed up at all, or you know the Phantom Zone. Yeah, if you're going to be DC about it, that that, that that you know the Phantom Zone. You put somebody in the Phantom Zone, they're going to stay in the Phantom Zone. There is no way you can get out of the Phantom Zone. Well, I don't know. Zod seems to keep getting. Yeah, don't throw Zod at me. 
<laughs> don't don't use reason and logic. <laughs> huh, okay, so so concluding I have to apologize. I have to apologize because I fussed at the last issue that yes. it seemed like they were telling the story out of sequence. Yes. You know, like like but no, it was it was and this is a complaint I have about this story is that it's it was hard to tell where you were in the story. But yes, it was being told in a linear fashion, and that was clear in this issue. Yes. Um, but what I will say about it is I think that this last issue of the I Am Suicide storyline redeems some of the, the issues that I had with it earlier. In fact, I think if you read it from, from start to finish as opposed to serialized as we have read it, mm-hmm. I think it's going to be a stronger story. I think that it's going to be more coherent uh, and you'll really uh, be able to feel the drama going on between Catwoman and Batman. Yes. Um, and it looks like that's leading up to something in the next issue. Um, I I got to tell you, I got I got a real kick, particularly in this issue of uh, Julie and the other guy. I can't remember their their, their hero names or their villain names. Yeah, uh, but those... is it Punch and Judy? Punch and Judy. Thank you. Okay. And and uh, I I they are so nuts. And there is there is a certain vibe. I figured it out. It's that it's that natural born killers Woody Harrelson and whoever that actress's name is Juliet Lewis. Uh, Juliet Lewis. Thank you. I, there is that certain vibe to it. Right. Yeah. Not, certainly not as killy, but uh, you know, th- there's that sort of nuts, sort of you know, crazy romance kind of thing going on there, and I got a kick out of that in this book. I also got a kick out of Bronze Tiger. I loved the scenes with the ventriloquist. Yes. Because the whole time you're like, why is Superman bringing ventriloquist along on this mission? Because he's got his own little Suicide Squad thing going on here, right? Super uh, Batman has put together. You know, all these bad guys that he typically fights and taking them to Santa Prisco with him to, uh, you know, defeat Bane and capture and return Psycho Pirate because he needs Psycho Pirate to help out Gotham Girl, right? Yes. To to stabilize her. And the whole time you're like, what the fuck is he doing with the ventriloquist? Well, you find out in this book. And I thought it was beautiful, Paul. I did. Too. I thought I thought those pages were. Be- I thought they were beautifully drawn. I thought the story was beautifully told, and it was one of those kind of things like, man, fucking Batman. <laughs> yeah. You know, and I think that's got to be the real challenge of writing a Batman story is that you've got to be smarter. You got to be as smart as Batman to write a, a, a an effective Batman story. Yeah, because you can't write stupid vil- villains, right? I mean, right. You have to write a smart villain, but Batman just has to be smarter. But you can't see it coming in order yeah. to have any suspense. Now, there, there is a big scene between Batman and Bane where they're fighting. And, you know, Bane has kicked the Venom. He's just, he's just badass Bane. He doesn't need your fucking Venom. You know, he's just, he's just Bane is enough, is enough villain for you, Batman. And to prove this, Bane fights Batman stark naked. Yeah. And the whole time, and it's, it's a pretty well-drawn scene... And the whole time, like, well, why didn't, you know, if his junk's just out there flomping around, why didn't Batman just grab a handful of that and twist? <laughs> because, you know, Bane gets over on Batman pretty hard, you know? Well, I think that's, I think Batman was just letting, having Bane let he his was, guard down, but... Well, and he, and he was, ha- he was waiting for all the, all the pieces to be in the right place. But at some point, I mean, it seems like you can, you can, you can 
you can shut that down pretty quick when the guy's just out there on natural. You yeah. know, Aaron, it, it sounds a little too much like you know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying. I'm just saying that if the junk is out there, you twist. <laughs> Every time Aaron fights a naked man, he grabs his junk. <laughs> you know, not my first time, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> not my first rodeo. <laughs> Yeah, I just I see just, I just see little Aaron in the theater when he was whatever age he was, sixteen, and having to deal with a belligerent person coming out of like Star Wars. <laughs> like, you know, asshole, well, you, it's time to leave. Well, you just twist his junk. Yeah. Twist you his twist. Junk. <laughs> <laughs> just grab a big old handful of him. So in the pages of Batman number thirteen, while Batman's away at Santa Prisca, Amanda Waller pays a visit to the Batcave. Yes. And, you know, in my mind, Alfred should have been able to do something about that. Yeah. Um, and Alfred just lets her do her thing. She's there, like, you know, I'm going to take some files. This doesn't have to be a thing. It doesn't, it, you know, it, it doesn't have to be awkward only if you make it awkward. And, you know, Alfred's like, well, if, if you know, Batman were here, but he's not here, you know. And, and so she apparently gets away with the files that she came to take. Which bothers me, because we've seen Alfred be more than uh, capable of defending the Batcave in the past. Yeah. That bothered me a lot, that that he just let it happen. Yeah, he only says if he were here. Like, in two pages, that's all he says to Amanda Waller. Yeah. Um, I, I, thought I, feel, that was I feel like the Alfred from the Gotham show would have kicked her ass. Yeah. Yeah, I just, I, you know, I just, it, it bothered me, because we've seen Alfred Pennyworth defend the Batcave before. We have seen him, you know, we know he's got mad skills, and uh, that we did not see that Alfred here. He just he just let it happen like a bitch, and that bothered me a lot, because that's not the Alfred that we know. Agreed. Um, this was Alfred just molding to the needs of the story, and that just, that seemed weak to me. But it does lead into the big Justice League Suicide Squad crossover uh, that started this week. Um, because Batman's aware that Amanda Waller paid a visit to the Batcave and stole some files, and Batman wants to put a stop to this Task Force X Suicide Squad bullshit because it just ain't right. Damn right. Yeah. And so, so he has he has saddled up the Justice League with Superman, Wonder Woman, uh, the two Green Lanterns, um, and Flash, and Aquaman. Yes. I think I got them all. Uh, versus the Suicide Squad, which I can't remember any of those guys' names other than Harley Quinn and Deadshot. <laughs> Captain, and Boomerang. Captain Boomerang, Killer Croc, um, Killer Frost, and I think that's it. So uh, they're going head-to-head, but there's a third team in town. Team and, Rocket? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think it's uh, you know it's one of the teams from Twilight, right? Yeah. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Team Dylan or whatever it is. Team, Team, Dylan. Team, <laughs> Team Jacob. <laughs> no, but you know, we've got uh, a team consisting of of uh, Doctor Polaris. Is that right? The yes. ma- the magnetic guy. Yes. Uh, Lobo. Um, and I, I don't have the book in front of me. <laughs> the I'm Emerald Empress, Johnny Sorrow, and I, the Evil Eye or whatever that thing is. Yeah. Well, that's um, Emerald Empress. Okay. Um, and then led by one Maxwell Lord. 
Yes. Which I don't know where he is in the New Fifty Two Rebirth universe. I'm I don't not know. tracking on that. Yeah, I, I don't know that. I don't, and and I'm sure we've seen him, but I've certainly not seen him in anything that I've read. You know. So uh, anyway, you know, you so I, I see this being a Suicide Squad Justice League team up against Max Lord. Yes. So I think that's where we're going. But, Paul, what did you think? What did you think of this first issue? So let me start by saying the art by Jason Fabok, you know, is is phenomenal. Um, I, Jason Fabok uh, was the artist on um, the last, I don't know, 15, 20 issues of Jeff John's Justice League run in the New 52. Um, yep. he, he very much has a Gary Frank sensibility to his art. And I love Gary Frank art as well. Um, so I, I, I loved the art on this book. Um, as for the writing, I feel like, for better or worse, um, the, the writer on the book is Joshua Williamson. And like I said, I, I feel like, for better or worse, if, it really kind of feels like Jeff Johns wrote this book. Um, I don't, I I don't know say, if it was I, just I would me. agree. <laughs> I would agree. I, in fact, I kept flipping back to the front going, who wrote this again? Because it did feel like a Jeff Johns book. It had all the Jeff Johns positive things and all the Jeff Johns negative things. <laughs> um, you know, in that it, it is overstuffed um, with content uh, it, 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 to to a detriment. You know, too many characters uh, to a certain extent. You know, and then you have the now you have three teams, which at, with at least five people in each team. Um, you know, and of course Maxwell Lord, who Jeff Johns seems to like putting in things. Um, you know, I, 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 it very much felt like Jeff Johns was writing the book. I enjoyed the book. I didn't love the book. Yeah. Um, I, I will say I am thankful that, uh, you know, it, which the book was originally announced with Jason Fabok on art, and then they changed it uh, to say that uh, each issue would have a different artist. And, I, and I, I, at first I thought that was kind of bullshit. Uh, but then I realized that it's because it's a weekly book. Oh, it's over the yeah. next six weeks, which, oh, you know, if, if they've got to change the artist every issue to give me six weeks instead of six months, more power to them. I think that's great as long as there's six good artists. And I don't know who the other artists are off the top of my head, but, you know, I'm, I'm sure given the um, how important this book is to them, it, it's solid arts. Yeah. It's all solid huh. artists. Well, I'm in for issue two. Yeah, I am too. Um, I really enjoyed it. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm, I, I do wonder what... Jason Fabok hasn't done anything since the end of the New 52. So it's been about six months. Um, So I I wonder what his next book will be. Because, God dang, I love his art. Yeah, it's a good book. It's good. Well drawn. Yes, very much so. Uh, But you know, Paul, what I'm not in for the next next issue, or should I say episode of? Here we go. Uh Uh-oh. Justice League action, because, wow, that sucked. Yeah, that was a bit of a stinker, wasn't it? Whoa, I was so looking forward to this, and it was terrible, terrible, terrible. It was terrible from the jump. Yeah. There was, I mean, I, I, I w- there was at no point was there a moment where I was like, oh, I'm so excited about this. It was, you know, from the opening scene, I was like, well, this is just terrible. Yeah, it's very much, um, it, it's, it's not quite Teen Titans. It's somewhere between Teen Titans and Justice League. Um, you know, the Bruce Tim Justice League in, in terms of the age group they're going for. And, yeah. uh, you know what? It's the same age group that likes Batman, Brave and the Bold, I think, because it very well, much has that vibe for me. And But, you know, I did not immediately like Brave and the Bold, but on rewatch, 
uh, which is to say, watch. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, watching it on streaming, there are some really strong episodes of that, and I, I really respond to Diedrich Bader's voicing of Batman. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and so there are some there are some Brave and the Bold episodes that I really enjoy. Um, I did not enjoy any part of this. This was just so bad. Um, I, I I think back to when the Justice League animated series first came out and they released the 90-minute the first episode. Yes. And I remember, I, if I recall correctly, it was right around Christmas time, just like this was. Yes. And I remember, I remember watching that and just fascinated from beginning to end at what a well-drawn and well-told story it was, that there were things there for all ages, right? Mm-hmm. And this feels like it's intensely targeted to a younger audience, that there's nothing here for me. And so I, 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 I have agreement and disagreement on your statement <laughs> in that when Justice League first premiered, I actually did not care for the first 90 minute episode. Oh, really? In fact, I didn't necessarily care for the entire first season of Justice huh. League. I felt like there was more bad than good in that first season of Justice League while they got their footing. And once the second season hit, and especially Justice League Unlimited, I feel like they had mastered the art of figuring out how to make tell a show with multiple characters. Um, but the, the first episode, I remember that first 90 minute episode of the white Martian invasion. I did not care for it. And I was like, ah, oh, damn. Um, now I will say I enjoyed it more than I enjoyed the, the first episode here of justice league action. Um, and I think the different, one of the main differences is that even though you can't necessarily tell because these episodes all link together in this first, um, two parter that they showed in general, justice league action is going to be, um, you know, a, uh, you know, 30 minute episode. So after commercials, like 22 minutes, um, and it's going to be two 11 minute pieces um, that may or may not have to do with each other. It could be two different stories, or in the case of this, it could be one, you know, continuous story, but kind of two parts, two separate parts of that story. Um, so there is not a lot of time for character growth or development. It is basically set up, fight sequence, end. Um, and I find I find that really boring. Yes. Yeah, and, uh, and 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 when you plug four of those in a row, because that's essentially what the uh, the opening part was. It, it was yeah. four of those eleven minute sequences in a row. It was rather repetitive um, and just not entertaining. Yeah, I I immediately I, I watched the first twenty minutes of it, deleted the episode, and then deleted my season pass because I was like I, I I have no desire to watch anymore. And it then he set his TiVo on fire. <laughs> that is correct. That is exactly what I did. I got out a can of gasoline, burned the whole thing down. See, it's the only way to cleanse it. Cleanse yeah, it with fire. Exactly. <laughs> cleanse it with fire. Um, yeah, you know, and and while I was hoping that the animation would be relatively solid, uh, unfortunately, some of the fight sequences just devolved into like the that Samurai Jack, Teen Titans. Um, show a yeah. still shot with some moving lines in the background yeah, type some, thing. Some streaky lines behind it. Yeah, I hated that too. Yeah. I was like, come on. Now, don't get me wrong. Loves me some Samurai Jack. Yeah. But uh, but Samurai Jack what... was in it, that for, for this, it felt cheap. In Samurai Jack, it felt like style. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Um, I yeah. will say, you know, it, it, it bothers me that after years of being canceled, there's enough. Um, there's enough uh, support to bring back Young Justice, but for some reason we still haven't gone back to the Timverse um, 
of animated properties. And I, I, I like, I wonder if that's because Bruce Tim doesn't want to do it or Paul Dini doesn't want to do it or, you know, because there has to be more, I've got to imagine there, it would be more successful to do that than to bring just young justice back. Um, and, you know, mm-hmm. seeing this just kind of makes me feel like <laughs> just makes me want to watch that show again. Yeah. So I don't, let me say this, like, I sort of feel like you you could say you got a decent amount of Bruce Tim animated. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I feel you're like I've got enough. You're saying I've got enough is I, what you're saying. I'm I'm not saying that I would I would be disagreeable to more, but uh-huh. I would much rather Jones for some young justice. I guess that's just me. Well, I feel like young justice was cut off before its prime, whereas to your point, the Bruce Tim I don't feel it, it doesn't feel like it was cut off. It feels like it had an appropriate end and that we we, we had it like maybe they cut it off before it could get bad. Right. Um, so I, I see your point for as young justice. It's like, man, I really could have seen more of that. But that being said, I, I would never say no to more Tim, Bruce Tim. Type yeah, no, I, I don't stuff. disagree with that. I don't disagree what, what, with that point. What I don't understand is it seems like what Bruce Tim did was inclusive, right? That that. You and I can enjoy a Bruce Tim show, and small children can enjoy a Bruce Tim show. But what they released last week is something that I don't think adults are going to respond to. I think that it's something you know strictly for children. And I think it's great that there are programs out there for children. But you know, I was hoping that Justice League would be for me too. Yeah. And so I feel like I feel excluded. I feel like this was intentionally done not for my tastes. Well, and given how intent they are on making the movies for adults, um, you know, if it, it feels like, you know, there's got to be something that can please both audiences, right? I mean, both, you know, Man of Steel, or I should all, between Man of Steel, uh, Batman vs. Superman, and Suicide Squad, we haven't necessarily had an all ages appropriate DC film. And now we have this Justice League action and Teen Titans on television. Like, can I get something that's you know that you know that that will bring and like growing up i had shows that were enjoyed by me and could be enjoyed by older people and you know like yeah. all ages you know stuff for my dc superheroes and that's what works for dc um yeah. you know properties that you know your your kids and and adults alike can enjoy and it just feels like um the, the at least the media properties don't haven't embraced that agreed lately Yep. So, well, bummer. You know, it, it was a bummer that Justice League action was not good. Um, but what did you guys think about Trinity? Well, Aaron, you didn't. Did you read Trinity number four? I did, but I'm going to defer to Tim. Yes. I'm going to let Tim take us into Trinity. Well, Trinity four continues the uh, mad downward star O poison ivy inspired acid trip that our our three main characters are going through. And if you've been following along, you knew that the next one was going to be Wonder Woman. And sure enough, that's what we got. We got all three characters in Themyscira. Um, I guess here's here's where I am on this. I thought it was a I thought it was a it was a good book, but I'm getting a little confused. Um, I don't. At the end of this book, they introduce another another villain, basically, and I don't know if that is fever inspired or if this is something that's going to tie in but if it ties in now we've got three well if you call star a villain three different villains in this book working together 
which is interesting, but I feel like we've decompressed the story to the point where I need the next issue to pay off with them getting out of this fevered dream. You know what I'm saying? Oh, no. I absolutely agree, Tim. In fact, it feels like this has gone on long enough. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree with <laughs> you, know? with you guys. It feels like a three issue storyline that's being stretched to six issues. Yeah. Hopefully, just six issues. Um, because it it certainly feels like it's already gone on too long. If no, you know, and if they pop out of it next issue and it is a fight against, you know, this, this trio of villains, I'm okay with that. Mongol Starro and Poison Ivy, which is a weird combination, right? Uh-huh. Well, and I mean, how in the hell does Mongol, you know, team up with Poison Ivy? Yeah, I, I don't get understand. Mong- Mongol and Starro, but I don't understand how Poison Ivy works into that. I don't feel like Mongol's actually a villain. I think, I think, uh, I think he's a bad guy, Paul. I think he's- Mongol. I don't care. You don't try and whitewash Mongol. No. Mongol is a bad guy. I'm yeah, just saying. I, I feel like he is just part of the fever dream. No, I think so. That's probably true. Because he's he showed up in that state, yeah. But you know, I I know that you guys like Poison Ivy. I'm not a big Poison Ivy fan, and I'm just like, come on, hurry this up. And I I did really love where Lois punches Poison Ivy. I liked that, but at this, but you know, um, the fact that Lois almost ran over her son. Uh huh. I I thought that was like, hmm. Oh, her son can take it. Uh, yeah, come on, it's fine. <laughs> That's not the point. But the fact that Poison Ivy <laughs> saved her son from Lois running him over, I'm like, come on, bullshit. That was a little. That was a little weird. <laughs> yeah, that was a little weird. No, but I I, I do enjoy the character moments of the, these fever dreams. I, I've enjoy, I've enjoyed this ride, but you're we're at the point where we need to we need to move on. Yeah, and well, if and they I, don't I, soon, I'm, they're going to lose me. I did enjoy. Wonder Woman's monologue, where she talks about what that what they each got out, yeah, of yeah. their experiences. Because I was like, well, that's a you know, in case you couldn't figure it out as the reader, Wonder Woman's going to explain it to you, and that it helped Superman, you know, who is not of this of this reality, not just of this Earth, but not of this reality, connect with this Batman and this Wonder Woman, which was something they needed. Um, and, and I thought I was like, okay, well, that's nice that they put a button on that, so that if you didn't figure that out from from the from the issue itself, you've got Wonder Woman there to explain it to. You. In fact, I think that's something that we should have in every book where Wonder Woman explains what's going on. Think of how much better the the Batman I Am Suicide would have been if Wonder Woman had been there to explain what the fuck was going on. I would yeah. love that. Instead of like a letters page, it would be Wonder uh-huh. Woman explains it to stupid people. Yeah, just a little pop up on the side. <laughs> Now, what's going on here? <laughs> I sort of feel like I sort of feel like you need her in her Diana Prince uh, outfit to explain it. It's a very school marmy. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know the, the, the when she was the Diana Prince super spy when she'd wear the white suit, you know, with the glasses and the hair pulled back. Mm. That's that's how she explains it to you. Oh, it's that, like she's giving a mission briefing, right? <laughs> No, no, I, 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 I love the art. I think this is a good story. I need to see. I need to see it move along. That, yeah. that's kind of my Trinity thoughts. And unfortunately, the way I feel about it is that we're going to get the next issue, which is going to be them still in the fever dream, and then the last page is going to be them getting out of the fever dream. And so right. we're going to get six six issues uh, for this story. That's basically spent five issues of them in this dream. And I don't know. I don't know. But I, I mean, I'll give it to the end of the story. Um, and I'll, I'll see how the second story looks, but if this is, uh, 
I, I just don't know that I'm going to stick around for uh, for the second arc. Well, Paul. Yes, sir. Um, we stuck around for Superman number thirteen, where you know, continuing the story with Frankenstein, his bride, uh, the evil Krug, and Superman. Yes. Um, you know, tell me what you thought about this one. This was a continuation of uh, of, a, of a book that we weren't too jazzed with last issue. Well, I will say I didn't dislike issue 12 as much as the rest of you guys. I just felt it a little unusual, um, you know, especially the fact that Lois was looking for a job when she was already working at the Daily Planet. It, right. it felt a little disjointed to me. I feel like this issue works a lot better um, than I, I issue 12. Agree. Yeah, I, I I absolutely agree that this issue is it performs much better than the previous issue, and a, a lot of that strength is in the last couple of it, it pages for me. Um, and you know, it, it, it's 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 a little on the nose, but I felt it's a good scene with um, you know Frankenstein confronting his wife and asking her to get back together, and you know she says three can become two because they were going to have a child, but I don't I, I think the child had to the child died or something. Um, and so she says, you know, three can become two, two can become one. And sometimes one is simply one. So basically, you know, he's, he tries to get together. He's like, let's get together and have a kid again. And she's like, nah, I'm good. And then in the, in the next page, you see, you know, Lois by herself and then Clark comes in. So you have the one becoming two and then they go tuck Jonathan in and the two becoming three. And I like that dichotomy, um, of those last couple of pages, well, you know, the the scene that you describe between Frankenstein and the bride um, were kind of heartbreaking. Yes. You know, because, I mean, Frankenstein is he, – <laughs> he's really got his heart out on his sleeve there and he's really wanting to put it back together. You know, he, he, he makes the case that, you know, I'm, I'm such an alien in this world and the only time I've ever felt complete is when I was with you. And, you know, she just, she just doesn't, doesn't share those feelings. And, you know, uh, you know, tosses his ring on the ground and walks off. When you make the comparison to the life that Clark, Lois, and their son have, I mean, they're living the dream. Yeah. Right? They're living Frankenstein's dream. And it, it's, it, it's a – I thought it was a very well-told moment. I wish that we hadn't had to have so much of the supervillain Krug – uh, in a two-part story to tell us that. Um, I feel like the superhero action in these two issues were filler. Now here's, I feel like, yeah, I feel like they were the reason to get to these last five pages. Now, and I, I do want to say this in regards to Pete Tomasi and Pat Gleason. I feel like they are excellent storytellers. Mm-hmm. I feel like, and I don't want to say a more skilled writer, because Pete Tomasi is certainly a very skilled writer, and so is Patrick Leeson. But I feel like other writers could have told the story in one issue and gotten the same point across um, just as effectively, if not more effectively, because we wouldn't have had as much filler as we did. And so I, I you know, I, I think this is a great done in one book that was unfortunately stretched to two issues. Um, yeah, no, I, I think it should have been a, 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 a one-issue book. I think there there is nothing that happened in all of that superhero action that uh, couldn't have been pushed into one, one book. And still have had the five pages to tell the, the Frankenstein Bride story and compare it to Lois Clark and John. Mm-hmm. Agreed. So. Well, since we're talking about Superman books, let's talk about a book we didn't get a chance to chat about last week, which was the newest issue of Action Comics, issue 969, um, the 
next part of Men of Steel, part three, where Lex Luthor is, um, you know, being t- I, I kind of want to say on trial, but he's not really on trial. He has been kidnapped and um, is being persecuted for crimes he has yet to commit. So, Tim, you read this one. Mm-hmm. What do you think? Um, so I got to break this up in a, in, a, in a two parts. The first part is this this God Slayer character, which is about, I would say, 70, 60, two-thirds of the book is about God, the God Slayer character. The call mm-hmm. is his name, and I don't know about I don't know about you guys, but I sort of took this character and I I <laughs> something we were talking about off off screen was sometimes you have a a character in a TV show that you can't disassociate with the other TV show he's in. I'm seeing this Lacall character and Zade, and I'm putting him in Thor. Like it's just so natural to do that because <laughs> it's very it very much reminisces of something you'd see from the pages of Thor. So I love seeing them here in this book. Um, I I I feel like I feel like you're what you're trying to get out of it is that this guy has mixed feelings because he's killed so many people and he's killing them ahead of when they do their crimes, right? And for some reason they get to the point where he doesn't want to do it with Lex Luthor, but the way it comes off to me is they sort of feel like they're pulling the wings off the fly. Like, like, you know, like the Zay characters, like we should, we should just kill him. Like, let this should be done now. But, uh, the call is, is fighting that. So that's what I got out of this book. I got a very Thor esque vibe out of this book, at least with the scenes with Lex Luthor and the God Slayer. I could see uh, that. Yeah. I mean the scenes with the scenes with Superman figuring out where he's going, I think tell a bigger story that I I just I'm not 100 percent sure on because I don't know about this whole building in the Amazon. So maybe you guys can help me out with that part. Oh, so that was set up in the previous storyline where the building was transported to the Amazon, and um, it was the same energy signature that he has seen. Uh, this other character or the God Slayer using. So he's using that to, to trace, to kind of find out how, um, you know, how he can get to where they took Lex Luthor. Okay. I just wasn't sure if it was the God Slayer character that was doing it, or if it's the stuff that they hinted at when they started rebirth. Um, I, you know, it could play into it, but I don't think we we've established that yet because they did. They did mention uh, doomsday. And we we've seen enough tracks to know that Doomsday is definitely associated with the rebirth thing. Yeah. So that's why I was confused. I'm like, so is this God Slayer character from like this alternate universe that's seeped its way in, or whatever they're hinting at? Yeah, I don't. I'm not sure. I, I overall I enjoyed the book. I, I'll say that. I, I I I did get me some Lex Luthor, which is nice, and I got. I, I honestly I got a, basically a Thor book for the first time in about a year. So, well, I, I, you know, I definitely enjoyed the issue and uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm curious to see where it goes, you know, what, where they're going to go with the God Slayer character, that kind of thing. Like, is this a, a character that we'll, we'll continue to see? Is it a done in one? So they definitely devoted a lot of pages to him if he's going to be done next issue. Yeah, exactly. I, I, I hope they aren't, but. You know, maybe that maybe that's the deke. Maybe that's that's the rub that they're they're not going to show us more. I don't know. I, like yeah, I said, I, I enjoyed it. I'm I'm on board to fi- to figure out if uh, 
you know, how, how they're getting him out of this. Yeah. Well, next week, you know, typically the last week of the month is a very slow comic week. But last week of the year, last week of the year is a very slow comic week, especially since it's also a fifth week. Right. Oh, God. However, uh, DC Rebirth and their scheduling has kind of resolved that this year. Um, So we actually have a a nice hearty week, at least from DC Comics. We have Justice League versus Suicide Squad number two. Um, And I, I looked it up while we were talking about it. The artist on that is Tony Daniel, who is also a very good artist. Um, we'll, we'll have new issues of Detective Comics and Wonder Woman and, um, you know, a couple of the other titles that we read, uh, Batman Beyond uh, and a couple of other, and um, a couple of other ones. Uh, one of the th- so a couple of interesting things uh, are, are coming out next week, including Supergirl being super number one. Um, I noticed that, you know, all the DC books had the ad for this book. I, I'm not entirely sure what it is, if it's like a Supergirl year one type story or what. Um, I'm, I'm a little concerned because they say it's a prestige format book, which probably means it's a $6 cover price. Ooh. <laughs> um, so I, I, I will, I will wait and see, uh, how the reviews look and, and how the art looks on the book before I, I, I check it out. Um, and speaking of $6 books, Aaron, sir, do you, you, what, you know, what comes out next week? What? Paul? <laughs> 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 Dark Knight Three: The Master Race Number Seven. Yeah, I'm so not in for that book. Neither am I. Did I even buy yeah, number no. six? I don't know if I even bought. I, I don't think I did. I don't think I bought for number five. <laughs> uh, I, I, I ugh, no, thank you. Yeah, I, I am. I, it is unfortunate that that series went as far down the tubes as it did. Uh, yeah, I am not picking up number seven unless I hear it is the book of the year. Amazing. Now, speaking of amazing, there are a bazillion sales on Comixology right now, and they'll be on through the end of the year. So uh, this will drop prior to New Year. So uh, hopefully you listen to it in time to get out there to Comixology because a line-wide sale on DC. So if there's anything you ever wanted from DC Comics, uh, there is an amazing sale on every single DC Comics in print. Uh, with the exception of stuff that has recently come out. Um, Marvel's got like 350 collections on sale. Image has a line-wide sale. Uh, there are sales from Dynamite and other publishers. I expect that we'll see a sale from IDW before the end of the year. So lots and lots of stuff out there. And most importantly, like we mentioned earlier, New Rainsboro. Go listen now. Absolutely. You guys have a great holiday. We'll talk to you before New Year's. All right. Bye, everybody. Bye. Podcast theme music graciously provided by Mark Andrew Pope. For more information, visit markandrewpope.com. Funny Books with Aaron and Polly is a production of ideologyofmadness.com. No Spider-Man clones were harmed in the production of this podcast.